no memory of Miami Vice. That's wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would say that's his best movie, too. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, obviously, I'm biased. I mean, it's out but, there. I mean, like, what, what would you say is better? Um, maybe nothing. <laughs> I'd have to look at a list, but... I guess uh, Lobster's I mean, good. Yeah, Lobster's good. I just, I just watched the Lobster for the first time a few mm. months ago. Because of what Colin Farrell stuff is in 2002, there's got to be something, right? Uh, Daredevil? Well, is that Daredevil? No, maybe uh, not Phone Booth, because Phone Booth got delayed. It was supposed to be 2002. Oh, Heart's War, of course. Heart's War. Minority Report. So we'll get our chance to yeah, talk. we got to talk about Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. When did... Okay, American Outlaws came out. That was a little earlier. Yeah, it was 2001, but I, I knew that movie like got delayed and stuff, so I was just seeing when exactly. I thought maybe it might have slipped into 2002. But no. Yeah, Phone Booth listed as 2002, but... Yeah, it was delayed because of the sniper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, April 2003. Yeah, Hearts War. Not looking forward to watching that. That is a <laughs> Great that is Hobbit a movie right? you can find a lot of used copies on DVD <laughs> of. Yeah, don't know why that is, but you can. <clears throat> I don't know why all that many people bought copies of <laughs> Hearts War to begin with. I think they were just making a lot of DVDs back then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like when uh, REM Monster came um, out and CDs yeah. were at the height of their uh, yeah production and that's why it's like the easiest used cd to find in the world yeah yeah dvds around that time period i feel like they made a lot of yeah 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 it was a big deal it was a big deal yeah i wish i wish it was still more of a thriving industry rather than such a dvds or home video well home video in general and now it's such a specialty market and like Go on Best Buy and they have like 20 movies. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, sorry. Well, we're rolling. Oh, should okay. We, uh, should we start? I guess, yeah. We can <laughs> uh, We can uh, keep this as the, the cold open yeah. this week. Chatter. Yeah. <laughs> Are people liking that? Getting positive feedback? I haven't heard any. <laughs> no one said, but you know, maybe. <laughs> We love the cold open. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I got an email that just said, more cold opens, less, yeah. less of the regular episode. <laughs> uh, well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to 2002, A Film Odyssey, the podcast where films are discussed, specifically the films of the year 2002. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Andrew. And I'm Dan. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Kung Pao today. That's the big movie. Enter the Fist. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, we don't have to get right into it. Please. Let's, yeah. We can, let's, let's pad this baby out with as can, much other stuff as we can think about. Yeah. Save it for a little later. Right. Uh, so it's been a couple weeks since our last proper episode. Right. Last week we did 88 minutes, yeah. uh, which I thought was fun. I would, I would rather watch 88 minutes than this movie again. Yeah. I think it was funnier. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say Kung Pao doesn't have a couple of laughs. No. Uh, but 
Uh, yeah, a couple maybe. A couple, yeah, like, yeah, two. like two. Yeah, it's got exactly maybe two. Um, uh, well, there's a, there were a few moments where I found myself laughing just at what we were yeah. watching on screen. Right. Less watching, less laughing at uh, um, the actual like joke, and more just kind of laughing at the idea of us sitting in a room watching Kung Pao together in yeah. 2021 was right. pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, 88 minutes last week and mm-hmm. uh, back on schedule yeah. this week. Uh, yeah. So it's been a couple of weeks. We've we've probably seen some things in that amount of time. Yeah. I've watched a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some good. Some mm-hmm. some pretty bad. I heard you watch Deuce Bigelow. Is that true? <laughs> you heard that because I told you. <laughs> it wasn't like... It wasn't like this was news making its way around town. Like, yeah. hey, everybody, did you hear who watched Deuce Bigelow last night? <laughs> it was Dan. Uh, I did. I paid uh, a shame, paid a shameful amount of money, which is three ninety nine to rent it. Um, I don't know why I did it, but well, I did it. I feel bad because I've got the DVD in my garage. <laughs> well, it was an impulse decision, as most like bad decisions are. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, didn't have a great time. I mean, it was kind of a similar thing to Kung Pao where I find myself, I found myself like chuckling just at the, the mental thought of the mental thought. (laughs) I found myself (laughs) chuckling just at the thought of like myself watching Deuce Bigelow, which is a lot funnier than the actual movie. Um, that was, I don't know, did you like Deuce Bigelow when it came out? Uh, when it came out? Because uh, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I bought it on DVD. <laughs> I guess. And is that still the same copy you have? That is not the same copy. Oh, so you've owned Deuce Bigelow multiple times. Right. That's so cool. I, I bought it when it came out, and then uh, shortly after that realized that it was bad. Right. Uh, sold it, and then... Uh, Years, years later, bought it uh, for my wife as a joke birthday gift. Okay. okay. All right. Well, it's amazing that you're married to her when you <laughs> buy her Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Uh, now, I didn't have a good time this viewing. <laughs> there, there, there was, like, one thing that made me laugh, which I think you and I have talked about before, like, separately of podcasting, mm-hmm. which is when Eddie Griffin eats the food that falls into the hot tub water. Yes. That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Eddie uh, Griffin's funny in the movie. Yeah, I think Eddie Griffin's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it, was, it was interesting that, like, I know Oded Fair from, like, two movies, mm-hmm. and they both came out in 1999. Oh, yeah. The Mummy and Deuce Bigelow. Yeah. That was the year of Oded Fair. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else I know Ed Fair from. I mean, he was in the only Resident e- Resident Evil sequel that I've seen. That's true. And I can't tell you which one that was. I think it was the third or the fourth. I don't know if I've seen that. I think it was Apocalypse. Yeah. And the only reason I remember that, and I have a weird reason for remembering, mm-hmm. is because Resident Evil Apocalypse did a graphic design contest mm-hmm. for people to like make a poster and mm-hmm. they provided you a bunch of assets, and one of them was just this large picture of Oded mm-hmm. Fair. <laughs> and I remember making a poster for that contest. Didn't win. 
and I just remember that picture of Oh Dead Fair. Yeah. But that's not a movie I've seen. Uh, I'm going to challenge you on that. I think we saw oh, that, did we see that together. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, me, and uh, Dero <laughs> saw it. Uh, we got like super mechs and then we went to go see it. Oh, that sounds like half of a good night. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I mean, you can tell I just sort of like put a lot of those movies out of my mind. Um, <laughs> Some that, people kind of like like those movies. That's true. I know. It's not enough to make me want to revisit them. But, I mean, yes, they have their, uh, they have their supporters. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Good for them. Yeah. I've only seen two of the five are there more than five? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, there is a Resident Evil reboot, like, coming out, like, in a couple weeks. Yeah, I've heard about that. That, uh, looks pretty bad. Yeah, I don't, I'm not interested. Neil McDonough is in it, who's the... Well, maybe I am interested. <laughs> the villain from 88 <laughs> Minutes, so, uh, that might be, that might be a reason to watch. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, so I watched Deuce Bigelow. Didn't have a great time. I did think it was a lot better than European Gigolo still. Which Ooh, European Gigolo is one of the worst things I've ever seen yeah. in my whole life. Yeah, absolutely. It's. <laughs> I remember seeing that in theaters and just being like astounded that it was real. Yeah. Like yeah. that what we were actually watching on screen was really being presented to us. Yeah. Because um, it makes male Gigolo look great. It makes male gigolo look like a very nuanced, sweet mm-hmm. comedy. <laughs> and male gigolo is not really. I mean, like it like pokes a lot of fun at like basically women of all <laughs> kinds. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just like the 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 worst portrayal of Tourette's probably yeah. ever put in a movie. And that's Amy Poehler. Yeah. I did not remember that being Amy Poehler. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't watched this movie since like 2001 <laughs> and I didn't really know who Amy Poehler was until, you know, a, a few years later. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it doesn't hold up well. Now, there yeah. is a fact. You might know this. Okay. I had no idea, like, literally until I watched it the other day. Mm. But do you know the large woman, his first date that he goes on? Uh, big the, Boy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had no idea that was oh, played that was by Big Boy. Big Boy, yeah. Yeah, the, no clue. Yeah, the morning DJ. Yeah. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I did know that. Okay, well, obviously you did, because you <laughs> call him Big Boy. Big boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I had no idea, because I was curious. I was like, obviously that's a man, and uh-huh. because... <laughs> being being the, the movie being what it is is like we need someone that's going to be ugly and audiences are going to be able to yeah. laugh at uh so let's put a man in women's uh clothing and makeup and then the, everyone can laugh at them because yeah. that's like a classic like happy madison uh-huh. thing um so i was like who who plays that mm. character and <laughs> it's big boy yeah, it's big boy that's yeah, fascinating to me. Well, uh, fascinating is the wrong word because I, I'm not like gonna look into it further. But yeah. uh, I uh, had no idea. <clears throat> yeah, I remember that being uh, like uh, I don't know, like people in the theater would be like, "Hey, it's Big Boy." <laughs> <laughs> what? What theater are you going to? <laughs> hey, it's Big Boy. Because <laughs> uh, he was a big deal back then. 
Yeah, I mean, he's still on. Still I mean, they still on. see his billboards on the yeah. four hundred five. Yeah, I mean, he's I think nationally syndicated too. Yeah, um, but I think he's based here in L.A. L.A. area. So yeah, I mean, we've been kind of inundated mm-hmm. with his yeah. billboards forever. I've always known who he is, even though I don't think I've ever really heard the show <laughs> outside of like some clips, right? But uh, yeah. So am I just making it up in my head that he was like kind of famous back then, or no? He probably was, okay. but I didn't. I I guess I just never read anything about yeah. him being in the movie and just never looked into it. Yeah. Uh, trying to think who else is in that movie worth talking about richard real uh-huh. also a big year for richard real because he office was in space. office space yeah. that year also mm-hmm. he's uh, the if you don't know who that is the character in office space that's the jump to conclusions matt yeah guy right yeah yeah he's funny in office space mm-hmm. uh he's um, the dad he's in- the dad in deuce bigelow uh, his big sight gag is when he's like plunging toilets, mm-hmm. and then he eats a he eats a cake with his fingers yeah. immediately after. Mm-hmm. In this, uh, and he, then he says, "That's good, Babinka," uh-huh. which is <laughs> a line I have remembered since 1999. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, obviously, Forsyth. William Forsyth. Forsyth. I mean, the reason I watched it is because we talked Forsyth last week on our 88 Minutes episode. Mm -hmm. We talked about the thinnest dick in the world stuff, which didn't really make me laugh, but Uh (laughs) maybe because I had remembered it Mm -hmm. uh, my whole life, uh, basically. Um, Forsyth's in it. Mm Hmm. Uh, Eddie Griffin, obviously. San, I mean, San, Sandler's got a vocal cameo because he just yells "freak" oh, at a really yeah. tall, like mm-hmm. Norwegian woman, right? Uh, but uh, that's otherwise. But yeah, it's the first Happy Madison movie too. That's right. Which is, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, where I sometimes associate, like, Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison with Happy Madison Productions. Right. <laughs> Obviously, was, because of the name. Yeah. But, like, when you really, like, think about it for, like, a second, it mm-hmm. doesn't take long, you realize, oh, those movies clearly came before Happy Madison. Yeah. So Happy Madison is not really a, a great, doesn't really have a great legacy. <laughs> we no. We ranked them all during quarantine, yeah. and I think what our, I think our favorite was, like, Billy, it was uh, Big Daddy, right? Uh, is Big Daddy Happy Madison? I think so, right? I think it is, because yeah. that came out, what, a year later? year after Deuce Bigelow? Yeah. No, uh, it would have been right before uh, Deuce Bigelow. It was oh. also 99. Okay. Yeah. So then, no, then it wasn't. So let me see what, uh, what our favorite Happy Madison movies were. Oh, right. <laughs> I think we both have the same one, and it's Funny People, which is a movie that is oh, not yeah. really anything just, like the rest yeah, of the... Just a qualified... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I think you and I both had Anger Management as our number two, <laughs> but not, so not, not a, a high bar. Tip, yeah. Uh, but if Big Daddy counted, it would for sure oh, be yeah, Big yeah. Daddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think of it like a... Uh, Happy Madison movie, just mm-hmm. because it's right around that time period. But yeah, I yeah. guess it doesn't qualify. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, so I watched Deuce Bigelow, yeah. which maybe we'll bring up again after a few minutes when we get into our Kung Pao talk uh, mm-hmm. for a reason. Because uh, it's a movie you thought was funny when you were a little kid, but not anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, but no. Other uh, reasons. Yeah, other reasons. Yeah. And then also you and I just watched, well, actually, before we get into that, Mm-hmm. What have you watched anything recently? Um, the other night I watched uh, a movie that I've mean to catch up with from 2020 that uh, I just haven't got around to watching, but I finally watched it. Um, uh, Another round with uh, oh yeah, Mads, Mads, yeah. Mads Mikkelsen, directed by Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah, that I've heard that's good. Uh, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. Uh, yeah, one of the reasons I like didn't uh watch it for such a long time you know a i i don't have as much time as i used to to watch as many movies but also i wasn't i knew that it was probably the kind of movie that uh, i would have to find the time to watch by myself just uh based on the subject matter because i figured it might be uh kind of triggering do you know like what it's about that movie um i mean it's about like four guys binge drinking i know that right it's like they try to it's about four teachers at a high school who try to like maintain a steady buzz basically Mm -hmm. like day drinking during work to see if it will like enhance their performance and social skills and whatnot uh but obviously there are consequences like Mm -hmm. it doesn't you know i'm not gonna spoil anything but uh i could see that uh you know people not, uh, you know, handling stuff like that so well. But yeah, it was really good. I liked it a lot. And Mads was excellent. Yeah, he's a really good actor, obviously. But he's also an actor who has this, like, whole filmography that I've barely Mm -hmm. even, like, touched. Yeah. So he's definitely an actor that, like, I kind of want to explore more of his stuff just to, you know, sort of see him work. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, I think my first exposure to Mads, like most of us probably was like Casino Royale mm-hmm. when he was the villain. Yeah. And, and he's like such a striking looking guy. Like, yeah, he's very compelling in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hannibal on TV was another mm-hmm. big one here in the States, yeah. which I never watched. Did you watch it? Uh, I saw some episodes and it was, yeah. it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Heard it was good. Yeah. Um, I think that guy, the the Hannibal guy, I don't know his name, mm-hmm. is actually, I mean, he's, like, attached to a bunch of projects, but on the Blank Check episode of Christine, um, they were talking about how that guy is actually attached to do, like, a miniseries version of Christine. Oh, okay. Based on the book. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. That guy's, that guy's got that in the works, so that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And, I, yeah, I think they're also supposed to do an American remake of Another Round. I think like, I heard that. That sounds probably bad, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel uh, like any time a lot of those, like, like Norwegian or, like, I guess in this case, Dutch, but, like, a lot a lot of those ones, like, like I, I guess the one I think of most prominently is, like, Force Majeure, right. which was remade into uh, Downhill. Downhill. And... Mm-hmm. 
nobody likes downhill. And everyone was just like, why did you remake this? The original right. was perfect. Yeah. Uh, you're not really tapping into anything new here. So I guess that's just what I think of as like a cautionary tale. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like maybe the only person that I could think of that might have an interesting take on it would maybe be Jody Hill, I think would maybe be a good fit. Interesting. Like, slightly comic, but clearly... Because the movie is kind of comical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think maybe, like, a dark comedy take on it might be a good fit. Well, I love the Righteous Gemstones. We mm-hmm. both do. Yeah. Uh, loved Vice Principals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Righteous Gemstones finally coming back soon. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I know that's one you and I have talked about a few yeah. times, wondering when that's ever actually going to come back. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, Eric Andre is going to be on the next season. That was okay. where I saw something about it recently. So, nice. excited that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. That's pretty much all I've watched besides... Oh, you saw Dune. Oh, I did. We did see Dune. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we can kind of talk a little oh, bit yeah. about Dune. Uh, yeah. I liked it. It was you good. liked it. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely uh, in my top three for the year. <laughs> only because... I mean, it's good, but I also haven't seen a whole lot of right. great stuff this year. Not a ton of competition. Yeah. Uh, you haven't read the book or anything right i I read some of it in high school not the whole thing because that's when i first saw the lynch one okay yeah okay the book is wild it's i don't it's one of the it's one of the hardest things i've ever read Mm -hmm. like and not really like in terms of like words like it's not like Mm -hmm. i didn't have to constantly like look up (laughs) like things in the dictionary but it Mm -hmm. is like a lot of like arabic culture Mixed with, like, made-up sci-fi stuff. Yeah. So it's just, like, you get thrown all this, like, terminology and stuff. And it's... Uh, one thing I noticed or remembered from reading that book was, like, having to reread pages and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which I don't normally do when I read. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would like, read a page and then I would be like, I didn't fucking understand any of what <laughs> I just read. And I would go back and reread it. Um, so... I, I mean, I think as an, as an adaptation, it's pretty good, the movie. I mean, it's obviously like it. up to a point. Right, like, up to a point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because the book, if I remember right, it doesn't explain some of the terms very well, right? Or it doesn't, like, take the time right. to... Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember hearing that... Uh, for the the Lynch Dune, they would hand out glossaries uh, in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of like the uh, the uh, Irvin Welsh uh, like train spotting in porno. How he has the like oh yeah glossary of Scottish terms mm-hmm. at the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, or when we saw uh, Brick. That's right. <laughs> in that, like, uh, really early screening, they handed out with uh, uh, Ryan, Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Yeah. He was there. Yeah. Just hanging out. He just showed up, I remember. Right, oh, that's too. right. Yeah. Because it was in, we went to a theater kind of deep in Orange County to see that. By UCI, right? Yeah. It was yeah. the UCI yeah. Edwards, mm-hmm. um, which I think is still there. Yeah. Um, and. He's from Orange County, right. and that movie was shot in, like, San Clemente. Yeah. Um, so he just kind of, like, showed up. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't playing a lot of places at the time. It was playing L.A., and then we went to Irvine because yeah. it was, like, the other kind of close place right. to us. 
And, um, yeah, he just showed up and did a Q&A afterwards. Mm-hmm. It was pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, I forgot about it. I called it the Brictionary, which I thought was, mm-hmm. like, really clever <laughs> at that time. Yeah. It's funny because I had that, and then I, like, just threw it out at some point. Yeah. And now, <laughs> you know, now that movie's, like, a huge cult right. item. Yeah. Still never come out on Blu-ray, which kind of annoys me. Uh, is that true? Because I feel like I have it in my house right now. I th- oh, maybe I have got, like, a uh, uh, like a foreign... Yeah, version. I don't think it's ever come out in the States on Blu-ray. I should qualify. Yeah. Got it. Uh, but anyhow, we should get back to Dune. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who'd you like in it? Like, who were your favorite uh, performances? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, that Brolin was good. You thought Brolin was good. He was kind of like my least favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, he he isn't really given a lot to do. No, he's not in a whole lot. Uh, I mean, I guess Brolin's, a, Brolin's always kind of fun when he mm-hmm. shows up and stuff. Uh, uh, I guess Oscar Isaac would be a, a better answer. Yeah, Oscar Isaac, I think, is like one of the most like solid Mm-hmm. actors we've got right now. Yeah. You know, he's just very reliable. He's always pretty charismatic. He's mm-hmm. really good in The Card Counter, which is not a movie I thought was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's good in it. Yeah. I haven't seen The Card Counter, but I will have seen it by the time we get to our autofocus episode when we get to talk about Paul Schrader. That's right. Polly Schrader mm-hmm. coming up. Um, who did I like in Dune? I thought Momoa was pretty fun. I kind of, like, yeah. understood the Momoa thing for the first time in yeah. Dune. Because, you know, I mean, like, he, obviously I could see, like, why people like him. Like, obviously he's a hunk. Mm-hmm. But, like, I guess I kind of, like, got the char- the charisma of him a little mm-hmm. bit there, too. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson? Rebecca Ferguson's good. Mm-hmm. She's, she's usually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Someone had a funny review on Letterboxd that was like... She was perfect casting because you believe that she would die if she was in the <laughs> desert because she's Rebecca Ferguson, yeah. very fair and Swedish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like uh, Chalamet a yeah. decent amount in mm-hmm. that. I thought, I mean, it's pretty on the nose casting, but like, I thought he was good. Yeah, he was good. Uh, oh, I I can't believe he didn't pop in my head, but Stellan Skarsgård. Oh yeah, the Baron uh-huh. rules. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård giving it all he's got mm-hmm. in, in a pretty uh, slimy role, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I I love Dune. We saw it together. It was my second time. We saw it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. I thought the IMAX presentation was really good. Yeah, that experience was really good. Yeah, yeah. like you can really feel the like the, bass, the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was cool. Yeah, uh, I'd see it again. I'd see it again too. Yeah. I'll definitely, I'm going to pick it up on 4K when it comes mm-hmm. out, which yeah. probably will be by, before the end of the year. I would think they'll probably try and do it before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Got to get that soundtrack, too. Yeah, the sound. I was, we were listening to the soundtrack tonight mm-hmm. on the way to another movie mm-hmm. uh, we saw together, mm-hmm. uh, French Dispatch. Yeah, we saw that just... Right before we're recording this. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a great reason, or it's great that we saw it, mm-hmm. because we can talk about that for a few minutes, mm-hmm. and stall having to talk about Kung yeah, Pao for talk. a few minutes. <laughs> it means it's less we have to talk about Kung Pao. Right. Uh, did you like it? Uh, I liked it quite a bit, yeah. Even the more I'm like just thinking about it, I, I liked it, yeah. Uh, 
should we give it a letter grade? Or is that too... Is it something that you might change, you have to think about? Um, I have to think about. I know I'm going to give it four stars on Uh Letterboxd. Yeah. Uh, I haven't logged it on there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Letter grade B+. That sounds fair. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a high A-. I could go A-, yeah. Yeah. um, It is probably the most Wes Anderson a movie Mm -hmm. could be. Yeah. I say that now, maybe his next movie will, will like, top it somehow. Yeah. Uh, But it is the most Wes Anderson we've ever seen, probably. full throttle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I I actually, we were talking about this a little bit on the drive home, but I think that's, like, what Wes Anderson should do. Mm -hmm. I think he either has to go all the way or not at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. because, like, I think my least favorite, and I say least favorite, I still, I, I like all of his movies that I've seen. Uh, I, I haven't seen Isle of Dogs. I was going to try and watch it before recording this, and I just didn't really feel like it. But uh, I think that my least favorite of his movies tend to be the ones that kind of try a little too hard at mixing the two mixing the aesthetic with the like pathos um with the exception of like rushmore which is i think a perfect movie and tenenbaum's pretty perfect too yeah i i mean let's all right let's let's rank let's rank west because i have i have maybe a a ranking that might be controversial i don't know uh, I was thinking the same thing, that I have a ranking that might be controversial. I think I know what yours is. Um, yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay. I've got it pulled up here, and I've got ten movies. Okay. So that would mean you have nine because you have not seen one of those. I have nine because I haven't seen Isle of Dogs. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, for number ten, I've got Isle of Dogs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Isle of Dogs... I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, I've heard some good things, some mixed things. I know Mm -hmm. that movie has its detractors, uh, a lot of, like, specifically, like, Asian, um, people Mm -hmm. have some issues with that movie, which I think is totally fair, Mm -hmm. um, because Wes Anderson is maybe the whitest director (laughs) in the history (laughs) of, of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Yeah. That's not why I haven't seen it, but it is a, like, sort of factor in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I like the, the animated ones, but I don't like them as much as Yeah, the I think they're ones. visually super impressive. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I mean, they look great, it's just... They don't hit me quite the same way. Yeah. Uh, which brings me to, uh... Number nine, this is something I know a lot, a lot of people would not appreciate, uh, which is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, the being that low? Being that low, yeah. Do you know a lot of Fantastic Mr. Fox fans? I think I do, yeah. I that that are going to listen to this podcast? Possibly, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, that would be very upset with how low I Interesting. am. Interesting. Now... Did you? I'm sure you noticed, because uh, you're an astute film watcher, uh-huh. that... Uh, French Dispatch had a couple like like effects that were uh, yes stop motion. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and I thought that was like an interesting way for him to mm-hmm. kind of 
get his little stop motion fix yeah. <laughs> or whatever without doing a whole movie. Right. Uh, I would like to see more of that. I mean, especially if he's going to just go increasingly dollhouse yeah. with his movies. Uh, when would you say we saw the first stop motion? Was that probably Life Aquatic? Yeah, that was yeah. that was the, all the sea creatures, sea creatures were yeah. were stop motion in that. Yeah, and uh, and then that's when he uh, hooked up with Henry Selick, the mm-hmm. James and the Giant Peach yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, slash. Nightmare Before Christmas guy. Right. Directed that movie, not Tim Burton. (laughs) Uh, Number eight. I think this is another one that might rub people the wrong way. Uh, I've got Moonrise. Okay. Moonrise Kingdom. I I really like Moonrise. I also really liked it, but I think it's probably my least favorite of the live action ones. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Number seven. Uh... Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yeah. Uh, Life Aquatic is a movie that might have too much going on. <laughs> it might have been too ambitious. I like it still. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I like all of the movies I do on like, this list. I like yeah. all of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, there might not be enough uh, beneath the surface on Life Aquatic. Yeah. It looks great. There's a couple of his movies, um, which are right next to each other on their rankings, Mm -hmm. where I think, like, his big emotional moment doesn't feel earned in either of them Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And, like, Life Aquatic's one of them. Uh, It just feels like a slightly jarring kind of, like, mix of the, like, emotional with the quirky Mm -hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And like when I, because I rewatched all of his movies last year, just because, what else was I going to do? Right. I wasn't leaving the house, <laughs> yeah. So uh, why not? But um, just because I also hadn't seen a lot of them in a long time, uh-huh. um, and so yeah, I, Life Aquatic. I mean, it, it's it's a memorable movie yeah. for me. Yeah. But we we saw it in theaters together. We saw it at the Arclight. Uh-huh. Do you remember who was sitting in front of us? Uh Jenny Lewis? Jenny Lewis. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it was actually <laughs> I feel bad cuz every time I tell this story I was like, "Oh yeah, Jenny Lewis was sitting in front of." But, but it, it was, was also it was two all, of all of Rilo. Oh, it was just a couple of It them. wasn't Blake. It wasn't the one that it wasn't the guy that was in Boy Meets World who uh-huh. was also in Rilo right. Kylie. But it was the other two members of Rilo Kylie and Jenny mm-hmm. Lewis. Yeah. And yeah, I think I told the drummer that I liked their band. Mm-hmm. I like stopped him as he was like going to the bathroom mm-hmm. or concession yeah. stand or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we saw that that the uh, the Grove. Yeah. Did you? I think you just said the Arclight, but no. Oh, did I say the Arclight? I think you said the Arclight. But okay, yeah, no, right. it was the Grove. We definitely it was saw the Grove. The Grove. Yeah. 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 Uh, I saw it a couple times in theaters, because I liked it a lot. Yeah, because it expanded on Christmas Day, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, back in 04. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's my uh, number, uh, number seven. Uh, Number six, I got what we just saw. Okay. French Dispatch. Okay. So it made quite an impression. Yeah. If it crawled up that high. Uh, that means number five, this I think is the controversial one, yeah. which you, I think you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's the Darjeeling Limited, which okay. I think most people consider their least favorite of the live action ones, or right. just in general. Uh, but I, I, I really, I always really like that movie. Maybe I just like train movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fair. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I just like the way that it looks and the feel and the train. I mean, we'll get to my rankings in a yeah. second, but I will say, I think Darjeeling Limited might be his most beautiful movie. It might be. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of the most like free his cinematography has ever been. Like, mm-hmm. uh, obviously his movies are super constructed and all of his shots are very meticulous and stuff. That's like the whole point. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't know. There's something a little more, a little looser yeah. about the Darjeeling limited. Sure. That's really great looking. Yeah. And um, obviously just, you know, like the scenery of India and stuff is yeah. great. Yeah. And the train shots are really cool too. Yeah, not that long ago, I listened to an episode of a podcast that I had no idea even existed that was called uh, uh, Team Deacons. Have you heard of that? No. Uh, it's a podcast uh, hosted by Roger Deacons, where he just oh, cool. <laughs> uh, interviews like other, uh, you know, not necessarily cinematographers, but, uh, you know, people involved in filmmaking. And uh, he interviewed uh, uh, Robert Yeoman. Oh, that's that sounds cool. And, as hell. Uh, uh, Deacon sound really sounded really interested in uh, knowing what the Darjeeling uh, shoot was like because he sounded like he was really uh, like he liked that movie a lot and the way it looked. Uh, that's cool because Deacon's shot uh, assassination of Jesse James, mm-hmm. which has some great train stuff. Good train in stuff it too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was interesting to hear him, uh, Robert Yeoman, talk about that shoot, because he said it was kind of chaotic. Yeah, I which, could see that, yeah. yeah. I mean, because most Wes Anderson stuff, or a lot of it anyway, mm-hmm. especially the more recent stuff, is like soundstage and like yeah. intricate, like like literally, I, I called it a dollhouse because it literally is like a cross section yeah. of like a house or mm-hmm. wherever. And they like move the camera around right. on dollies and stuff. But that was like actually shot like close quarters and yeah. stuff. Like, like they shot that on a real train. Yeah. 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 It's uh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do like that movie a lot more than I you're, think. You're like talking me into it more and more. <laughs> no, I'm not going to change it or anything. Uh, then number four, I got uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is uh, which a lot of people love, and I love it. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Uh, number three, maybe um, maybe this is higher than most people too, but I got Bottle Rocket. Okay. I mean, Bottle Rockets. Bottle Rockets a fun watch because. Mm. It's got the Wes Anderson energy, but without mm-hmm. the obviously without the budget. But also, yeah. just it's it's the most real world of any of his movies. True, it's yeah. a very interesting that, and I think Rushmore's Rushmore's definitely feels like it's like one character mm-hmm. that's a Wes Anderson character, and everyone around him is kind of like yeah. in the real world, which I think that's a fascinating sort right. of uh, thing. So those two movies are interesting, just because it's it's his 
writing and energy applied to, <laughs> you know, like right. just some random town in Texas, because that's where both those movies are set. And then right. everything after that is like New York or Europe and mm-hmm. stuff now. Yeah. Uh, and then number two, which, depending on my mood, is sometimes my number one, uh, is The Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. Which I think is a perfect film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which leaves number one as uh, Rushmore. Yeah, I, I was worried you were gonna. I was worried you were gonna put Rushmore number two. <laughs> Rushmore is maybe in my top three movies of all time. Not maybe it is in my top three movies of all time. So mm-hmm. it is a movie it is a, like a foundational movie for me because I saw it at the perfect time in my life as I was like beginning to like cooler stuff and stuff that I still like to this day. You know, sort of transitioning out of liking just dumb shit I liked in middle school, like mm-hmm. new metal or whatever, and into liking like better things. Right. Well, you know, n- n- there's nothing wrong with liking new metal. I'm no. not trying to shit on anyone's interests. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, all right, all right, good list. I mean, obviously, good list because they're all g- pretty good. Yeah. The worst Wes Anderson is still better than I think a lot uh-huh. of. Uh, and I say that as someone who understands why people would dislike Wes Anderson, he's mm-hmm. very like, I don't know. He's very Wes Anderson yeah. <laughs> and you're either kind of on board or you're not. Yeah. Um, Travis and I were just texting about Wes Anderson this morning. Uh, that's funny. Cause I was texting with Travis about Wes Anderson the other day. <laughs> yeah. He did not like life aquatic at all. Which makes sense. Right. Yeah. He wants to borrow grand Budapest and uh, Royal Tenenbaums yeah. from me. So I keep telling Travis that Royal Tenenbaums is the one that he's going to like the most. I That's interesting because I'm letting him borrow both. Mm-hmm. But I, I told him I think he might like Grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. Because I think Grand Budapest is the most overtly funny of any of his movies. Yeah. So it's definitely the most like madcap screwball comedy mm-hmm. of any of them. Yeah. In my opinion, and it's probably the one I laugh the hardest at. Yeah, still to this day. Uh, all right, my list. Okay, okay. So number nine, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. So mm-hmm. sorry to uh, anyone who's upset about that. I think that movie's really good. Uh, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I I told somebody uh, uh, that really likes it. I was, they were upset that I didn't love it. And I was like, yeah, it's a good like animated movie. And yeah. they, they did not like that, I, that I qualified I know, it like that. I know. I have a thing and I've, I've, I've like talked about this with, with people over the years that like something about animated stuff, I have a harder time with. And I, and I do kind of qualify it. It's like, Oh, it's good for an animated thing. And I, I shouldn't think about it like that, yet I can't help but not be as engaged with, like, animated stuff as I am with live action. And I don't really understand why. Maybe mm-hmm. when we get to, like, Studio Ghibli. Like, aren't we doing a Studio Ghibli movie this year? Yeah, we'll be doing uh, Spirited, Spirited Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe when we get to that, we'll... uh Yeah. We'll dive into the psychosis of it a little bit. Yeah. Uh... Number eight for me is, I guess, I guess this is kind of a standard list up to a point. Uh, Darjeeling Limited. Mm-hmm. It's my least favorite of his live action. Um, there's stuff about it I really love, and then there's stuff about it that I think 
doesn't work as well as I want it to. Um, mostly just like the stuff, like when the, when the kid dies, it all just kind of happens and it doesn't really feel supernatural to me, to the flow of the story, which I get is also kind of the point that it's just Mm -hmm. this thing that happens all of a sudden and they have to deal with it. But I don't know, just doesn't work for me completely, but I, I do still like it. Uh, Seven, The Life Aquatic, which is, again, just kind of a movie that's a little too big for its britches. <laughs> but, again, stuff that I like about it, that's also a great-looking movie. There's some cool stuff. Oh, yeah, aquatic, totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, six, The French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Um, really liked it. Uh, I thought the anthology format was cool. Like, I thought it was yeah. cool to see him, like, work with. Because mm-hmm. it kind of allows him to get a few of his little ideas mm-hmm. into one thing. And, you know. Um, I also thought, like, Jeffrey Wright. We talked about this a little bit on the way home. Yeah. But Jeffrey Wright was, like, a really good fit for the Wes Anderson yeah. thing. <laughs> we were saying they were a good fit for each other. Yeah, exactly. Jeffrey Wright and Wes Anderson. Yeah, because Jeffrey Wright's kind of... He's, he's, he's a, a little, big, a big actor. He's a big actor. Yeah. He's a big actor, and Wes Anderson, I think, works. Well, you know what? He's big and small at the same time. Which yeah, is- <laughs> which is that is like the Wes Anderson right. thing is finding that balance. Yeah, because sometimes actors will go too big, and, and you know it doesn't yeah. work. And then other times they'll go too small, and they're not really selling the mm-hmm. like comedy. Yeah, aspect of it. But I thought he was really good. He also. I think would be a great narrator because he has that yeah, great, like, great voice. gravelly voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Wright, really good. I think that was my favorite segment. Because, yeah. like, every time a new Wes Anderson comes out, there's usually, like, always a new actor in it that hasn't been part of his other films. And you're always like, well, I wonder if they're going to, like, fit in with he add He adds to his stable basically every yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you get carryovers. Some don't stick. Some do. Uh, for the most part, though, I mean, he kind of kind of just keeps yeah. adding, and like it was cool to see like Shersha Ronan from mm-hmm. Grand Budapest mm-hmm. show back up. Yeah, uh, um, like Edward Norton from yeah. Moonrise. Ed Norton, Fisher Stevens was in there, mm-hmm. director <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, whatever uh, that movie was. <laughs> what was that movie we were talking about? I forgot. Uh, but yeah. Um, uh, was this was Henry Winkler in other? No, this that, was a first. That was Henry his first, Winkler, and yeah. I want to see more Henry yeah. Winkler in Wes Anderson <laughs> because Henry Winkler is kind of like developed this sort of new reputation through like social media as being like this very lovable, sweet old man. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I mean, it'd be cool to see him in more stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, Fisher Stevens. Quick, quick aside here. Yeah. Uh, oh, stand up guys. Oh, stand up guys. We were talking know. about that uh, with Pacino, right? But here's the thing I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> Did you know he also directed Palmer, that Justin Timberlake Apple Plus no. movie I from like earlier you. this year? Yeah, from like not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, I had huh. no clue. All right, all right. Back to Wes Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get to. Kung Pao. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Uh, five for me is Moonrise Kingdom, mm-hmm. which is a really sweet movie. I think that, um, I think 
he does he works really well with child actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because they can kind of I think because they're so moldable as actors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he. He can have them say these, like, absurd things that sound, like, <laughs> completely ridiculous for yeah. adults to say. But for some reason, like, it's just really funny and, and endearing when a child says it. Yeah. So I, I really like that movie a lot. Um, I also thought that movie was, like, like an interesting transition point for his career. Because he kind of... At, I think at, with Moonrise Kingdom, he starts ramping up the Wes Anderson-ness of his movies, like, yeah. tenfold. And then and yeah. then again with Grand Budapest, and then again with French mm-hmm. Dispatch. Yeah, because Darjeeling probably got a lot of criticism for that, for the Wes Anderson-ness of it all. Right, and uh, he seemed to just, like, double down on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm trying to think how much time had passed between those movies. Like, it seemed like kind of a long time in the moment. Because Darjeeling would have been 2007, and then... Uh, Moonrise, Moonrise is 2012. 12. Oh, 12. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, so five years. Five years. He did do Fantastic Mr. Fox oh, in between right. those, 2009. But that that's... Again, kind of underscores that I almost don't even really... Th- I think of that almost as his own separate thing mm-hmm. in his live-action works yeah. versus his animated ones. So, I don't know. Um, number four for me is Bottle Rocket, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Martin Scorsese thinks that's like one of the ten best movies of the 90s, which I think is very funny, but also yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, number three... Uh, this is maybe where it gets controversial, but I should qualify. I think all of these are like five star movies. So mm-hmm. like relax, uh, <laughs> uh, three is the Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. for me. Uh, just a wonderful movie. Uh, it's super Wes Anderson, but it also, uh, might be the best like mix of emotional stuff. I, I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, number two is one of my favorite movies of the last decade, easily, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Um, I think it's so funny. There's so many funny parts in that movie. Um, like when Jeff Goldblum says, did you just throw my cat out the window? Mm -hmm. I think that part is so fucking funny. I have no, I mean, there's so many funny things in that. Like, Willem Dafoe is that, like, angry like mm-hmm. Adrian Brody, like bodyguard mm-hmm. and then Adrian Brody as that piece of shit guy. <laughs> uh, uh, Adrian Brody is a good West Anderson. Yeah, Brody fit. turned out to be a good, it's, a, a good choice. Yeah. It's yeah. funny. He has a couple lines in Darjeeling limited that are pretty funny too. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I remember seeing the trailers for Darjeeling limited and I was like, Hmm, Adrian Brody. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then he turned out to be pretty great. Uh, Better than his SNL hosting. Oh, right. (laughs) Uh, My number one, uh, I already talked about it, it's it's Rushmore. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a perfect movie. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, like you, I think I saw it right in that sweet spot. I mean, we were were of that age where we were starting to, you know, like become teenagers and Mm want to watch cooler things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know, just a... I mean, that's a movie that I hadn't rewatched it in a few years mm-hmm. until I rewatched it last year. 
or it might have even been earlier this year. I don't yeah. remember. Um, and it was one of those where it just like it hit me all of a sudden again. You know, mm-hmm. just how great it is, even after, even though I've seen it a bunch of times before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment in that movie where it gets like really real mm-hmm. and the camera i mean obviously Wes anderson stuff is shot very meticulously a mm-hmm. lot of it's like with steady cam and stuff like that um but where the camera transitions to like a shaky cam mm-hmm. and it's handheld yeah and it's when like the emotions and the mood totally shifts in that movie for like the first time yeah and i i i just love that like bit of filmmaking in that movie in particular. And that's like the classroom scene when, when, um, Olivia Williams is like pushing Max and like mm-hmm. confronting him about his lies. Like, yeah. I don't know. Such a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Yeoman was talking about, uh, how little he really uses the shaky, like handheld steady cam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was talking about how, like sometimes when he would have to do the, uh, like the whip pans and he would have to hit certain dialogue notes. He would have to like remember the lines cause he'd know he'd have to do the like turn <laughs> yeah. yeah. and he would have to like stand in a really weird position. So he'd know like how he would have to turn the camera. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was talking about how he doesn't really, uh, use that like shaky cam that often. I'm trying yeah, I can't really think of too many. Uh, he uses it again in Life Aquatic mm-hmm. when, spoiler alert, but it's like a 17-year-old movie, <laughs> so yeah. who cares? Um, but when Oh Wilson dies mm-hmm. in that, it gets shaky. So I think it's clearly like the their version of like, yeah. oh, shit's getting real. Yeah, like, kind of destabilizing you a little right. bit. Yeah. And I I don't think it wor- I don't think it ever works quite as well as it did in Rushmore. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's... I And uh, Royal Tenenbaums during the, uh, the fire drill scene with uh, Ben Stiller, like at the beginning of the movie. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's more comedic, and I think yeah. it's better in that than it is, like, in Life Aquatic, because it's like, oh, clearly it's a panicky situation, yeah. but it's also not, like, dire consequences. Right. Yeah. Still a great performance. Yeah. He's great in that, mm-hmm. and he has the, the biggest emotional catharsis yeah. of that whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Quite a line. Oh, it's... Yeah. I, easily the best performance of Ben Stiller's career. Yeah. And I, I'm a guy, I'm like kind of a Ben Stiller apologist. I love Meet the Fucking Parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as uh, Andrew well knows. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that's that's easily the best Ben Stiller. Yeah, I would say so. I'm trying to think of what yeah. else would even... Walter Mitty? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen him. No, nah, I never have. Uh... But uh, we were talking about this. We uh, we would like to talk more about Wes Anderson. Yeah. Which is why we kind of came up with this idea to do uh, bonus episodes that focus on uh, home video releases. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And I think these would not take the place of our normal episodes right. or anything like that. And they wouldn't throw off schedule or anything. But it would just be kind of like the 88 Minutes one where we... You know, if we want to talk about other movies, mm-hmm. some notable ones, because 
guy like Wes Anderson doesn't have a movie in 2002. Right. So we wouldn't get an opportunity really to talk about Wes Anderson. Yeah. Unless we just kind of awkwardly shoehorn it in yeah. another episode. But he had a movie that came out at the very end of 2001. Right. Yeah. So uh, Royal Tenenbaums, it comes out on DVD uh, in July of 2002. That's wild that movies used to take that long to come out. Yeah, now the turnaround is much quicker. Literally the last duel is announced for like mid <laughs> middle of December. Yeah. Like, so like <laughs> You just um, saw that. <laughs> a month after it came out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember that being like a, a June or July movie. I think it was July. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying it. It was the Criterion release. Yeah. Well, that was back when his movies got day one Criterion releases. Yeah. Unfortunately, now, because he's with Fox, mm-hmm. well, Disney now, Yeah. Uh, it'll eventually, like, French Dispatch will eventually get a Criterion release, I'm sure, Probably. because Grand Budapest eventually did. Uh, Isle of Dogs hasn't. Right. Uh, but that's the only one. Mm-hmm. Um uh. Darjeeling did, but not it, it didn't get one right away. Right, that yeah. didn't get one right away because I think that was his first Fox movie. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was Fox Searchlight, which is funny because the other ones were uh, Touchdown, right? Touchdown, which is Disney, also. Yeah. So I don't know if there's like a I I don't know if some language <laughs> in the contract Maybe. with like. Fox from when he signed it before they were bought out by Disney. I don't know. That's weird because his Disney ones, his original Disney ones, mm-hmm. went straight. Well, Bottle Rocket. I, I'm getting all confused. Yeah, yeah I don't know. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, nobody cares. But anyhow, we're, we want to do select uh, DVD releases for right. 2002. Right. Uh, so that way we'll get a touch on some other filmmakers that. We just missed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can we can sort of pick and choose our spots like, yeah. when there's ones that, like, again, like this, kind of, like, where, you know, maybe we wouldn't ordinarily get a reason to talk about them in the normal format of the show. Yeah. And, uh, I think another example I mentioned is uh, Ali. That comes out, or that... Came out on DVD, like, I think, April of 2002. Yeah, I'm on board. I would love to talk Michael Mann. So then we can do an episode on Michael Mann. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that will be uh, 2002, a Film Odyssey home video edition. That's right. We'll be doing those bonus episodes from time to time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, yeah, should we get started with the main discussion at this point? (laughs) We have to. (laughs) So, yeah, we put it off long enough. We're uh, over an hour into this episode. Are we really? Yeah. Okay, so we can talk about this for 20 minutes and then <laughs> shut her down. Uh, so, uh, uh, we are still on January 25th for the 2002 release calendar. Uh, one of the movies that came out that day was Kung Pao Enter the Fist. That's right. A film by Steve Odekirk. Steve Odekirk. Steve Odekirk's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's a guy. Now, now I, don't, I don't know about you, but I was strangely on the ground floor. Maybe not on the ground floor with Steve Odekirk, but I was well aware of who Steve Odekirk was by the time Kung Pao came around. Just because of his collaborations with Jim Carrey. Yeah. I don't know if I knew him by name at the time. Yeah. I mean, I might have... 
sort of obviously I think got excited about this movie the first time I saw the trailers mm-hmm. um, and then probably like read about it in yeah. the early in the early days of uh, movies on the internet yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean I, I might have familiarized myself with Steve Odekirk but I don't think I really knew who he was right uh, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey in like elementary school, like seriously obsessed. And I had this, uh, biography about him that had a filmography in like on the last page. And, uh, I made it like a mission to see if I could collect all the movies that Jim Carrey was in on VHS. Uh, even like the more obscure, like early, uh, Canadian ones, like, uh, rubber face and, uh, you know, once bitten and things like that. <laughs> uh, what's the what's the ski lodge one that uh, we watched called? Copper Mountain. Copper Mountain. Yeah, yeah. that movie's like what forty five minutes long. Yeah, it's basically it's like, like an ad traffic. for Club Med, right? Right, something like that. <laughs> That's a terrible movie. Uh, but there was a movie list in there called uh, High Strung, which uh, featured Jim Carrey in like a cameo role. And it was starring Steve Odekirk that I had on VHS when I was like in fourth, third or fourth grade. And I watched that and that was my first introduction to Steve Odekirk. Uh, and that was just a movie about like a, a like kind of a pessimist that uh, keeps getting phone calls from, uh, from death. Okay. Played by Jim Carrey. Jim yeah. Carrey plays death. Uh, great pull quote on the cover here. Okay. For this, it says, Jim Carrey is even better than he was in Ace Ventura. Uh, I'm gonna disagree with that because <laughs> Jim Carrey was in High Strong for um, 10 minutes at best. <laughs> I mean, it could have really made an impression on Barry Zavon, uh, Hollywood Update, Channel America critic. Uh, yeah, so I'd seen that movie in, like, the mid-90s or whatever. Uh, so I knew Steve Ocar from that. And then by the time uh, Nothing to Lose came around with Martin Lawrence, uh, he had, like, a cameo appearance in that, and I noticed him from High Strung. So I was like, oh, that's Steve Odekirk. Uh And then Kung Pao came out. Right. Yeah. Well, he also directed Nothing to Lose. He also directed Nothing to Lose, yeah. 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 Uh, Also directed Ace Ventura 2, Yeah, he directed Ace Ventura 2, and uh, I think had written Ace Ventura 1. He was, like, I think a partner of Tom Shadyac. Right. Because I think he wrote the Almighty movies, the Bruce and Evan Almighty I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, screenplay. Yeah, both of them. Yeah. I would have thought maybe only Bruce, but... Uh, yeah, they both Evan. came back for Evan Almighty. <laughs> the movie I, for, like, always forget existed. Right. It's funny that Steve Carell, obviously, because The Office has, like, taken on this, like, whole extra life mm-hmm. where people talk about that show like it's the funniest thing ever made, mm-hmm. and the greatest comedy in the history of (laughs) comedy. Uh, It is funny that Steve Carell's, like, movie career kind of started so unceremoniously. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously he's in, like, Anchorman, but that's just a supporting role. But, yeah. like, his first few, like, starring roles and stuff were kind of bad. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. So it would have been Anchorman, 40-Year-Old Virgin, and then... Uh, oh, yeah, I guess 40-Year-Old Virgin. But he wasn't, like, super, he wasn't a huge deal when 40-Year-Old Virgin. No, no. That was, like, his first. Yeah. That was his first, and then he kind of got a little serious and Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. Because uh, I think 40-Year-Old Version came out after the first season of The Office that people, like, were a little mixed on, right? Right. Yeah, Office Season 2, having watched all of it, is much better than Season 1. That's where it finds its footing. They stopped using, like, the exact scripts from the British ah. one, which is a <laughs> lot better <laughs> that they don't do that. Um, uh, I, well, I they not, really only do that in like one episode of the first season, but the first seasons, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not very good. And that first episode turned me off on watching it for a very long time. Oh, it's same. That was why I, I didn't watch it until like four years ago. And now it's this whole, now people are wild yeah. for it, which is weird because it hasn't been on the air in a long time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess when I think of like early early uh steve carell cinema i think of like i don't even really think of like 40 year old virgin even though that obviously is but i think of like the run like evan almighty dan in real life get smart <laughs> date night <laughs> like yeah. all those movies and then dinner for schmucks those that's were, when he was like superstar that was after the office had hit yeah yeah and he was like well we got to get this guy in more movies mm-hmm. because he's big on tv yeah right what I mean, Get Smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get Smart. Terrible movie. <laughs> uh, uh, Dinner for Schmucks. <laughs> Never saw it. I saw that. As a film by Jay Roach, though. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Director that's of Roach Joint. Classic comedy Meet the Parents. Uh-huh. Again. <laughs> yeah. Jay Roach did all the Meet the Parents movies? No, he didn't do the third one. Just the First two. First two. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Wheats brothers did the third one. Little Fockers. Did they do that? I don't know. That's just. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Maybe. I don't know. Little Little Fockers is pretty bad. (laughs) I actually. (laughs) I look it up. (laughs) I I have a slightly controversial take on the Fockers films. But I think even though I would say it's worse and it got worse reviews, I think Little Fockers is funnier than Meet the Fockers, the second one. Right. Uh, I've never seen Little Fockers, but I've seen that. It's bad. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's bad. Like, there's stuff involving, like, like, the big sight gag in Little Fockers is, like, Robert De Niro accidentally takes, like, Viagra when he thinks he's taking something else, and Ben Stiller has to, like... For some reason, give him an adrenaline shot right in his boner. Okay. And then, like, the son <laughs> walks in and sees it happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, like, the big gag. And yeah. Obviously, that's not funny at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul White's directed Little Fuckers. Okay. Just yeah. Paul. Just Paul, yeah. Uh, I don't think Chris was involved. With, yeah, because he didn't. That neither of them wrote it. Got it. Uh, 
But anyway, so I guess we should circle back to come back. How? Yeah. How did we even get to? Well, we were talking about uh, Steve Oakerk's career, career. Ace Ventura, yeah. all that uh, stuff. And then the Thumb Nation movies were in there somewhere, right? Thumb, yeah. Thumb Wars, I think, being the one I remember the most, yeah. which we at some point tried to watch a few minutes of. <laughs> Didn't get very far in. And those, uh, how how did could one watch those? They were shown on like uh, not Comedy Central, but uh, Cartoon Network. Is that how people would see the thumb, maybe, thumb movies? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, I don't like maybe like an early Proto Adult Swim type yeah, stuff. Because that probably would have been pre Adult Swim. I would think. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, uh, yeah. You got like Thumb Tannic. Uh, Thumb Wars. And they're still making those suckers, too, <laughs> wow. which blows my mind, because when we were when we were watching this, I found, like, a new Star Wars one that he's doing, <laughs> which, like, I, I mean, that's, uh, that's something. Yeah. What that? Let's, let me get this title here. Yeah. It's Thumb Wars 9, The Thighs of Skyskipper. <laughs> okay. Uh, it apparently was made in 2019, but has never been released uh-huh. or something, because it has a grand total... How many people do you think have rated this movie on IMDb? Uh, well, if it's not a lot, uh, 20? That's It's eight. Oh, wow. Eight people have rated this movie. Usually, even when a movie like hasn't been technically released anywhere, mm-hmm. it'll have a couple hundred yeah. on IMDb. Because, right. you know, crew or people that have seen it like to, that are in the industry or something, or people that just rate it because they're bored on the internet. Yeah. This is eight. <laughs> eight. I could add one and it'd be nine. Yeah. I mean, I know that's math. But... I don't know. So, I, I don't know if that's ever getting released. But. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he did the Thumb thumb movies. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then I think that leads us to Kung Pao, which... Uh, that's his that's his biggest shot as kind of an... Yeah, like an, an auteur. Yeah. Because, because he's just kind of a nameless... I mean, not nameless, but like... He's just kind of a director. He's, he's yeah. a four-hire director. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey probably wanted him to do Ace Ventura 2 because he knew him and yeah. col- had collaborated yeah. with him. I, th- I think he'd also, Odekirk had written for uh, In Living Color. So that's probably how they all met. So they have a, a long-running yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is his biggest swing mm-hmm. as a director. And, and, and spoiler, it's... It's a miss. Yeah. Although people there I think it has a cult following, right? Maybe. I don't know. I mean I'll be interested. I if if you listen to this and you like Kung Pao, send us a note. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, I mean just give us your feedback. Because I mean I I'm I I'm open to hearing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll agree with it, but I'm open to hearing it. Respectfully, yeah. of course, uh-huh. you know. Don't tell us we're, like, fucking idiots for not liking this movie or something. Yeah. So, uh, I think when I saw the trailer for Kung Pao originally, I did not think it looked very good. The the trailer. Like, I think it, uh, like, it, uh, it had too many, like, goofy-looking visual gags, I think, for me. Um, you were, you were a very highbrow, like, 
uh, 12-year-old. So <laughs> Yeah, it kind of looked like maybe uh, scary movie humor, but even maybe even worse. Uh, so then when I finally saw it with my dad, I, uh, I thought it was pretty funny. Like, because there were more jokes in there that were a little a little sharper and, uh, well, at least back then I thought they were a little sharper, <laughs> uh, a little more subtle than what you got from the trailer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, cause I remember the, the cow stuff, the being cow big in stuff the trailer. was pretty big in the trailer. And I right. thought, I always thought that looked really stupid. I mean, it, the CGI is awful. Very bad. Some of the yeah. worst CGI I've ever seen. And I think I said that during the imposter episode, and this is way worse than that. Yeah. Uh, so I think my expectations were, like, so low that when I saw it, and it made me laugh, like, really hard at certain moments, I was, like, I was sold. I was like, okay, this movie's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, but then I think I said this on another episode, I watched it like a little later after it came out on DVD and I was like, yeah, this isn't that funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that first viewing back in 02, I, I, I was howling. We'll always have that first theatrical experience. Yeah. yeah. I definitely remember laughing at like the milk dud nipples joke yeah. and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, yeah, I I uh I was pretty excited for this. Um I remember seeing it and then my dad like kind of be my dad probably would have thought like oh that looks stupid or whatever, but he mm-hmm. was kind of on board with the concept because mm-hmm. I guess we should explain the Yeah, concept. we should probably explain what the plot is and what the concept is. I mean, the plot doesn't really matter yeah. too much. <laughs> I mean, he's like it's it's kind of like um it's kind of like the David Carradine show Kung Fu, where he's mm-hmm. just like he's just this white guy roaming the lands mm-hmm. and gets in fights and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the concept of the movie is that he he took an old like mm-hmm. uh, Chinese action film yeah. and inserted himself into it, mm-hmm. redubbed all the characters. Yeah. And then also, like, shot some extra stuff to mix right. in with it. Tiger, Crane, and Fists. Is that the movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, which I actually watched on YouTube this morning. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. To, to prepare for this. Wow. What do yeah. you think? Uh, not great, but uh, I gotta say, like, the some things he did not change much. Really? Yeah. Like, there were some... Uh, some lines that were actually, like, pretty similar to the lines in Kung Pao. Interesting. It was interesting to watch it through that lens. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just like, oh, they used that scene in Kung Pao, they used that scene. <laughs> uh, that is interesting. Yeah. Because I remember my dad kind of being on board with the, the concept, because my dad liked this old uh, Woody Allen movie. Don't cancel my dad. This was way before anyone knew anything. Also, my dad's not really like a Woody Allen fan. He just liked this one movie that Woody Allen did called What's Up, Tiger Lily? Mm -hmm. That's like the same concept. Right. It's like an old Japanese movie that he like inserted himself into. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, that movie's like all about like, it's like an action, like an action movie, but he changed the plot to be about like a chicken salad sandwich. And that's, like, the big joke in that. <laughs> I, I've seen that because of my dad uh-huh. and watching Kung Pao, I think. And yeah. I, I, didn't think <laughs> I didn't think it was all that funny. But <laughs> I did think Kung Pao was really funny. 
Yeah, I had a pretty good experience the first time I saw it. Yeah, I think... And my dad loved it, too. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. My my dad's a guy, and I don't know if he'll ever listen. He's listening to some of these. But my dad laughs harder than anything I've I've ever seen my dad laugh at is uh, projectile vomiting mm-hmm. scenes in movies. Yeah. So, like... Uh, the one that comes to mind is Stand By Me, mm-hmm. the the pie-eating contest. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what I think about when I think about my dad laughing really hard. But <laughs> I, I, do, I do remember him having a pretty good time during this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the, the cow fight that you mentioned a few moments ago, yeah. uh, I want to talk about uh, how often... The Matrix was parodied in movies at this time. Yeah. That was a huge trend for comedies in this, like, three-year period. It was. It was. And then after the Matrix sequels came out in 2003, there was Mm. even more of that. Uh So it was, like, a boost to that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously the Matrix is one of the most, you know, sort of influential, game-changing special effects action genre movies mm-hmm. of all time. So naturally there were going to be parodies of it, especially cause it's got such iconic imagery. Like if it was just a really cool action movie, mm-hmm. you wouldn't probably see it, but since yeah. it's so specific visually, right. Um, like it was the, the Trinity levitating crane kick. That, that was, was often, that's the cow in this. Yeah. And then the, uh, the bullet time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, which also the cow does in this because it shoots <laughs> yeah. its uh, milk out of its udders. Uh, and <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and Steve Odekirk has to neo, has to limbo away from the. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I watched Deuce Bigelow. Yeah. And uh, because we had talked about <laughs> it last week a little bit. Because of William Forsythe, and I completely forgot that that movie had a Matrix parody yeah. in it. And that would have been probably the first. I yeah, think. it would have had to have been because, because that was 99. Yeah, it was like six months or whatever yeah. after The Matrix. Right. Well, Dusugolo came out in December. Matrix came out when? Like April? Uh, yeah, like... I think it's like... Somewhere April, around April, April, It's like, like April March or, or April, yeah. yeah. It's, in, it's in those early months, so... Yeah. But yeah, Deuce Bigelow, probably the first. I mean, what other ones can you remember? Uh, Shrek, I remember, was a big one. <laughs> Shrek, Shrek did it. Okay. Kung Pao. Uh, scary movie. Of course. Yeah. Even though that's not a scary movie. Right. Um, and I was thinking there there has to be more. Did Charlie's Angels do uh, work that in somewhere? You know, we were talking about this earlier, uh-huh. and I didn't recall that when you mentioned it. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I mean, some other ones that I see here. Scary Movie 3, again, parodies the, like, Oracle stuff oh, from the right. Matrix sequels. Uh-huh. Um, I guess there's one in Without a Paddle, which is not a movie <laughs> I've ever seen. I have seen Without a Paddle, but I don't remember that part of it. Uh, it just, I think, does the, like, bullet dodge. Yeah. Slow motion bullet dodge. Uh, Shrek, yeah, of course. This article's funny because it's, 
it's wrong. It's the whole concept is wrong. <laughs> because this was written two months ago, and it says, uh-huh. these seven Matrix parody scenes are actually hilarious. Okay. And not a single one of them is funny, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, are- Kung Pao is on this list. Okay. So, I mean, that's the bar we're dealing with here. Uh, they've got Shrek. They've got Without a Paddle. We've got Scary Movie 1. Mm-hmm. They've got The Simpsons, which... The Simpsons movie? Or no, not even the movie. Episode. I think just moments in the episodes. Okay. There's a few of them, which, okay, whatever. Um, Kung Pao, and then Scary Movie 3. And... They include Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, another 2002 movie on here. Um, because the spoon, or one of the guys on the crew in the Matrix, Mouse, mm-hmm. is the, like, Death Stick dealer in oh, yeah. the club. Uh-huh. Um... But that's not a parody. I I have no clue what this guy's getting at. He does say to okay. All right, let me just read this paragraph. Sure, this will be easier. He is the one who designed the woman in the red dress that captures Neo's attention, uh-huh. and the exchange between Obi Wan and the dealer is cut short when Anakin's focus shifts to a woman looking over at him. The woman is played by Fiona Johnson, and she played the woman in the red dress too. Okay, so, so that's, that's not really it's, a, it's like a deep cut Easter egg. Yeah, it's not, it's a, not parody. Really a parody. And he says, to make it even funnier, I'm not laughing. <laughs> it's, not <that> funny. <laughs> it's not even funny at all. It's just like, a, oh, that's interesting kind of thing. Uh, it's just kind of interesting if you happen to look it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to make it even funnier, the drinks in front of Obi-Wan appear red and blue in a potential nod to the pills Neo has to decide between. All right. All right. Well, sure. This guy's a fucking nerd. <laughs> and I say that as a person who co-hosts the podcast Rewatching every movie from 2002. <laughs> yeah, so Matrix parodies all over the place. They didn't even include Deuce Bigelow in there, so I already said... I mean, I, the one I always think about was on the Matrix DVD, mm-hmm. and it was the Will Ferrell like, yeah. uh, MTV architect. Movie Awards. Yeah. 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 Uh, Where he just says a bunch of, like, 10-cent words, uh, like... Indubitably, and stuff uh-huh. like that, in like the Will Ferrell voice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it since back then, so I don't know if it's still that funny, but maybe. Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Matrix parody was just a very easy, like, go to gag back then. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, let's just throw some bullet time in there. People right. will laugh. Yeah, and I guess this movie's version of it, they think, I don't know, it's clever. He just gets into a, no, this movie is this movie's bad. Yeah. Well, uh, let, all right. We we explain the basic concept. Concept. We can walk a little bit through the plot. I guess the plot in quotes. Right. So uh, so the movie opens with uh, uh, the film's villain, Master uh, Master Payne. Uh, it was mess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Master Payne changes his name to Betty later on in the movie. Right. Uh, we okay. Actually, before we even do that, yeah. let's say one thing. Yeah. Steve Odenkirk voices every single character in this movie except for one person. Right. And that is 
the single-breasted woman that, like, visits him, like, 30-ish minutes into this movie. Right, yeah. 40. Otherwise, every character. Otherwise, yeah. Voiced by Steve Odekirk. Right. Yeah. Master Payne is Betty, so is every other character. Right. I just wanted to get that out of the way so that we could (laughs) acknowledge every single person that we might talk about is voiced by Steve Odekirk. So if you're wondering who's playing a person that we're talking about, it's voiced by Steve Odekirk. Right, right. Yeah. And there there are a couple of interesting, um, like... Not cameos, because they weren't, like, intended as cameos, mm-hmm. but just people that are in this movie. Uh, but we can get to that in When a few we get minutes. to it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the movie opens with Master Pain, the movie's villain, uh, attempting to kill the, uh, the Chosen One as a baby, right? He... Yeah, we don't know his motivation. <laughs> right. He, uh, he just storms into this this house and tries to kill this baby because that baby is the chosen one. Um, then, yeah, is he like... He's like there... Is he there to like get something from the parents or uh, I can't remember. Maybe to collect like taxes or something. Yeah, maybe remember. like a vaguely like Sheriff of Nottingham, like Robin yeah. Hood kind of thing. Uh, and then the... In this moment, this is when uh, we realize that the baby is no ordinary baby because <laughs> it, it spins out of its crib and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> starts fighting back. Starts fighting back, kicks all the henchmen. And uh, and this is a baby, like a really bad CG-looking baby that kind of like, I don't know if you remember the Alley Mobile baby. Yeah, it yeah, looks the like the looks like that. Chaka baby. <laughs> yeah. and the hooked on a feeling baby. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, so it's basically just this baby that beats up all these henchmen. Uh-huh. Um, and then, uh, the first of a few really terrible CGI sequences. Yeah, a lot of bad CGI. In this I think the cow might be worse only because it's like bright daylight during yeah. that scene. Yeah, the- if they were smart, they would have set that scene at night. <laughs> where yeah. they could like use some lighting and shadows to cover up how bad the CGI is. <laughs> Which is kind of what they do with the baby. Cause yeah, the, exactly. the house is darkly lit, so you can't... It kind of covers up the sins a little bit. It, you, you, yeah, you can tell it's bad, but it's less egregious than yeah. the other stuff. But when you get a look at that baby, you're like, oof. Yeah, this looks bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine this movie didn't cost a lot to make. When we go over the box, I would still get the yeah. budget. But. Uh, so, so, yeah, then the... You know, they burn the house down, and the baby escapes. And this is this is a, a moment that, if I remember right, made you laugh pretty hard, even the most recent time <laughs> we watched it. I'm laughing right now. <laughs> uh, I'm ashamed, but I'm laughing. So the joke is that the, ba- the baby's rolling down this hill. <laughs> this is, I thought this part was pretty funny back when I saw it the first time, too. Uh... Because, I don't know, I guess it reminded me of those, like, kind of uh, long con, uh, like, Austin Powers-esque jokes. It, yeah, like, it's it's a joke that goes on for so long that you're, that you're half, halfway through, you're just laughing because it's still happening kind yeah, of a joke. Yeah, exactly. And that is the, the baby just rolling down this hill. Yeah. And then, 
and then it kind of <laughs> the, the baby like uh, it hits a it eventually hits a roadside. It, yeah, it it stops, and then a, a woman comes up and uh, tries to like picks up the baby, and she goes, "Oh, so cute," <laughs> which is Steve Hodekirk. <laughs> Steve Hodekirk. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, the joke is you think, oh, she's going to save this baby, but then she, uh, just, uh, throws the baby down the other hill (laughs) so the baby can continue rolling. Uh, I'm just imagining people who have never seen this movie listening to us describe the jokes. I mean, there's no way that sounds funny to someone who hasn't seen it. No. Um, yeah, that's... That's kind of a funny joke. I will I will cop to that. I think this movie's <laughs> terrible. But there's like at least two jokes that are like okay. Yeah. I got a genuine laugh out of me. I, there were a lot of times where I caught myself laughing, but it was more so just out of sort of like <laughs> secondhand embarrassment or yeah. I don't even know what hand embarrassment, but like that joke or that joke actually got a chuckle out of me. In like a Naked Gun, Zucker yeah. films kind of mm-hmm. way. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think that was one of the jokes when I first saw it. That was like, oh, yeah, maybe this movie is better than the trailer led me to believe. Uh, but what would you say is the the ratio in this movie as far as jokes that hit and uh, jokes that don't? It's like a 95 to 5 <laughs> in terms of not hitting. <laughs> it yeah. shocked me, like, how bad most of this movie is. And I know that's, like, uh, it's like beating a dead horse, kind of. Like, obviously, this movie's not good. Uh-huh. But, like, I expected there to be better jokes on rewatch. Because yeah. I hadn't seen this movie probably since, like, two thousand. Two, maybe 2003 or something, I would yeah. watch it on DVD. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it doesn't have a lot of hits. No. We'll put definitely it that way. Not. Uh, so from here, what? It, it cuts forward to, like, present time, right? And Steve Odekirk's character, the chosen one, is kind of roaming the land and he's being, uh, constantly attacked. Right. Uh, and then he uh, he seeks out uh, Master Tang, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember any of the character names. <laughs> I'm going to be totally <laughs> to get, honest with To get you. some extra training. I remember Betty and I remember Wimplow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, besides the chosen one. Um, yeah. And uh, the Master wants to see the mark of the chosen one, which yeah, is... Which is- He's doing the Thumb Wars animation thing, mm-hmm. but on his tongue this time. Yeah. So his tongue just has eyes and a tongue of its own. Mm-hmm. Very, like, strange sight gag. Mm-hmm. Not funny. Not funny. No. Yeah. And and they repeat it a few times because yeah. they probably thought... Because Steve Oedeker clearly, like, thinks that style of animation is very funny <laughs> uh, because he's been doing it for <laughs> 25 years. Um but, uh, yeah, they repeated a few times. Yeah. So the mark of the chosen one is just his weird tongue with a tongue creature on it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. M- Master Tang sees that and uh, then agrees to uh, give him some training, right? Yeah. 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 
<laughs> a big yawn you just let Sorry. out. It is a... It's a chore to walk through this movie like it's a normal movie. <laughs> like it's a regularly. I know. I mean, I don't even know how much we really need to go in the, into the plot. I mean, I guess a little bit, but uh, just to lead us, I guess, to the the jokes, so we can like the big jokes, so we can mm. basically say whether or not we think they're funny. <laughs> Spoiler: No. <laughs> uh, so at this point, uh, he gets the chosen one gets some extra training from Master Tang's school, and this is, I think, the joke where uh, he uh, he says to the uh, the other students to uh, basically beat him up right with the the sticks. Yeah, uh, or he's like, "Yeah, just attack me and beat me with sticks, uh, just for as long as you want." <laughs> I'm kind of laughing again. Uh, and this, I think, is another joke that I would yeah. file in that, like, kind of, that yeah, Austin is, Powers. This is the hit. This is the hit. Yeah. For this movie's, for this movie's standards, this is a, this is a hit joke. Yeah. Uh, so the chosen one's like, yeah, just, just keep beating me <laughs> as long as you want, and then I'll eventually throw you off of, throw you off of me. Uh, so the students just, they beat the shit out of him and he, he, they beat him unconscious and they <laughs> talk amongst themselves like, should we keep going? Uh, and they, they do. And then they, it's just like several minutes of them just beating him unconscious <laughs> with sticks. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's several minutes. It's maybe it's, like a minute, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a long time. Yeah. And that is another one of the jokes that I think got me when I was, a, you know, a young person. Yeah, I, uh, that is kind of a funny joke as well. Yeah. And I, maybe, maybe we're just, I think we might do a disservice to this movie because we might talk about the few jokes that do work in this movie. Well, I'm done talking about those because I think that was about <laughs> it. <laughs> I know there was like one other there, thing. No, there is one more. There okay. is one more joke. What's the other joke? Uh, it comes like in the last, the final act. Uh, which is when uh, the chosen one goes to the uh, the store to buy some nuts. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I lost it when we watched that. And the uh, and the merchant. Uh, oh, so the chosen one's like, I need a pound of nuts, and the uh, the, the merchant says, uh, "That's a lot of nuts." <laughs> uh, you know, obviously that's not what the, the original dialogue was that that character it's was It's so saying. loud <laughs> when it's, he says it. It's mixed so loud. That it, <laughs> uh, oh, God. <laughs> so, that's my favorite part in the whole movie. So I think we really just covered the three biggest yeah. laughs in I mean, the We movie. could talk about some of the worst jokes. Yeah. Um, so... Could you help me just breeze through the like the the plot the plot in quotes because it's yeah. just a clothesline for these really terrible gags. Yeah. Um. So uh, you know he he gets some extra training for Master Tang's school, and then we we get some scenes with uh, Master Pain uh, with uh, you know his uh, his henchmen and. Uh, Somewhere in there is the scene where he decides that he wants to be called uh, Betty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A, a joke. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. That's, 
That, that's an example of, like, the jokes that don't hit in this movie. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, a lot of the really, like, visual sight gags, I think, don't. Or, like, not funny. Like, the cow stuff, the cow fight is very unfunny. Right. I mean, that's, like, a the Matrix stuff. Um, the one-breasted woman mm-hmm. isn't funny. Yeah. That's supposed to be, I assume, like, a... Holy shit. Yeah. Look at that. That was a trailer moment. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just this random woman shows up after he is... after That's after he gets beaten unconscious, right? By the sticks. Somewhere. Something up, like that, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's just, like, staring at her breast. And yeah. It's like, the, <laughs> the joke is that she has yeah. one breast and he just uh-huh. keeps staring at it while she tells him... Uh, about, I think she's like warning him not to fight Betty, Master right. Payne. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, and that's the other, that's the only other voice actor in the movie. The yeah. Actress that plays yeah. That everything character. else is, every other character is voiced by Oda Kirk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, after he leaves the school and gets his training, that's when he, that's when he encounters the cow. Which is one of Betty's henchmen. Right. Yeah. Very uh, funny. Uh, uh, Moon Yu, I believe, is the name of the cow. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, and then what, what else happens in this section? Oh, it, the the Lion King parody. Uh, Mushufasa. Mm, right. Uh, With the bad, like, uh, James Earl Jones impression. Yeah. Which I assume is just Steve Odekirk again. Doing yeah. that. Uh, um, I don't know. Where's the part where he, like, fights all those, like, masked henchmen? Has that already happened at this point? That, he, with that, the gopher chucks? We didn't even go over gopher chucks. <laughs> I think that already happened. Uh, I, think, I like, think that's somewhere in the middle. That's okay. somewhere, like, after the, the school and before, uh, like, the Mushufasa stuff. Okay. Well, we can talk about Gopher Chucks if you want. Uh, Yeah, can you describe this scene for us? Uh, He fights a bunch of henchmen. Mm -hmm. A couple of them whip out some nunchucks. Yeah. And he looks at a hole in the ground, a gopher Uh hole, and says, I need gopher chucks. Uh (laughs) And and then he grabs two gophers. Ties them together. He ties... Well, no, they, they both clamp down on something. Okay. Like, he he uses their teeth. Mm-hmm. And then, then he uses two gophers as nunchucks. nunchucks. And, uh, and um, beats up some guys. Yeah. And <laughs> then... That's a joke. Yeah. And then he lets the gophers go. He, like, thanks them for their service. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> that's that's go for chucks. Yeah, <laughs> that's another example of a very unfunny gag. Yeah. Um and uh, yeah, and then uh, then I don't know what uh, Betty uh, seriously maims uh, Master Tang and uh, Ling. Oh, that's the scene where he, like, runs between all yeah. of them as they're, like, dying or yeah. whatever. This this is closer towards the end. So we're getting towards the end. 
Yeah, this is like two-thirds of the way through this movie. Because right. I think this was around the time when we checked the runtime. Yeah. And we're shocked that we still had like a full half hour left. <laughs> right. Because uh, this is not a long movie. This is like an 80-minute It's like an 80-minute minute movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it feels a lot longer. It does. Yeah. It does. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, later on in the movie, Master, uh, Payne, or Betty, uh, seriously injures, uh, Wimplo, uh, Ling, and, uh, Master Tang, uh, and this is, uh, not, not a funny scene. <laughs> no, no, he runs back and forth between them. Because they're in different parts of the... Right, they're all hurt. Like, yeah. They're, they're, like, in a forest or something. Um, then he, like, what, takes takes a couple of them to safety. Uh-huh. And then it's, like, training, right? It's the, like, triangle stuff. Yeah, then uh, then he does some training with the, uh, the triangles. Right, so I guess um, Master Pain Betty has these, like... These like silver metallic triangles on his his like chest, chest mm-hmm. his uniform or whatever, yeah. and so it's like he, his weakness, right? Yeah, uh, this is uh, <laughs> this is uh, this. Sounds, it's in the it's in the the uh, uh, tiger and crane fists. It's in the actual film, right? Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so he's like training to take the little little triangles off mm-hmm. of his chest. Yeah. So he's like trying new techniques yeah. on like dummies to attack the triangles. Little chest triangles. Uh yep. Yep. So if he can get those off he can defeat uh Betty. Right. Yeah. Right. Because he's just too powerful with them. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and then after that what we get the big final showdown. Right, uh, and uh, one of the the gags in this scene is that, uh, and and this character I think pops up from time to time earlier on in the movie is that uh, uh, Betty's got like a boombox guy that shows up holding <laughs> holding a boombox playing various songs uh, uh-huh. to kind of uh, soundtrack the the fight. Right, uh, and in this scene, what is it? Baby got back. Sure, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if you think that sounds funny, go check out Kung Pao. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me look at the at the soundtrack here yeah. and see what. Uh... <clears throat> and obviously, that character was digitally inserted into uh, into the film. That character was not in. The yeah, there's a handful film. of new characters that are just added. Yeah, whole. That's, you know, that's one of them. Uh, Black Betty. Oh yeah, Black Betty. That's the, I think that's at the very end. Uh, you can't touch this. MC Hammer. Uh huh. Uh, Baby got back. Sir Mixalot is in there. The, it looks like those are the uh, those are the pop songs. Yeah. And then uh, Ocean Man, the SpongeBob song by Ween. Okay. And, um, yeah, so he has his, his big confrontation with, mm-hmm. with, uh, Betty. Betty. And, uh, and then the... Defeats Betty, right? He's he does. able to pull off the triangles. Right. 
pull off the triangles, defeat Betty, and then the, the aliens show up. Yeah. This is... Uh, French aliens. French aliens. Which is like the evil council that is referenced by the, uh, Mushu Fasa earlier on in the movie. Mm-hmm. In that great Lion King parody. Uh, and then uh, they show up, and that's the end of the movie, right? And then it kind of cuts to a uh, like a fake trailer for... Kung Pao 2. Kung Pao 2. Right. Which he put in as a gag. Uh-huh. And I guess was never seriously considered to be made. Um, even though, <laughs> like, for years, it had its own IMDb page, mm-hmm. like, as a pre-production thing. Yeah. Uh, but he said it was never actually going to be made, which I think, like, Broken Lizard did the same thing and. uh... Mm-hmm. Beer fest, what yeah. they did like pot fest right. or whatever. Pot fest, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like those guys might have actually made that movie if they could have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it's this. I don't know. I mean, they they might be able to say it was a joke, but I feel like those guys probably <laughs> would have made that movie if they were right. given the money to do it. Um, yeah, I mean that's. That's it, basically. That's it's a very short movie. Very short. It's yeah. just, um, I mean, I guess the character we didn't really talk about was like Wimplow. Oh, uh, Wimplow who was is one of the trainees at students. Master Tang's uh, school. Yeah, one of his students, and he doesn't like the chosen one, right? And the joke with his character is uh, he was trained poorly uh, as a, as a joke. joke intentionally, right? Uh, can you do an impression of Wimplow? I don't think I should. <laughs> it's not... Okay, so I, I, I will say, I was expecting this movie to be, like, more racist than uh, it is. Yeah. And it's I, not really. No, not really. No. Like, all the voices he does are, like, just bad, like, cartoony voices. Yeah. But there's no, like, attempt at, like, a bad Asian accent. No, there was... <laughs> which is what I was worried about. Yeah. Because I hadn't seen this in a long time. I just kind of assumed that was coming. Yeah, because they were all, like, American accents. Right? Yeah, I think part. so. Yeah. Um, I, well, that's not entirely true. There are some. Like, the master is... It's kind of like a Tommy Chong kind of a voice. Uh... Yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. It it's a little. It's a. Li- it's some of them are verging on that like <laughs> racist sounding like voice that uh-huh. you can probably kind of remember from other projects. Um, it's not. It's not as bad as I expected though in that regard. So that's mm. something I guess to yeah. its credit. Um, yeah, Wimplow just has, like, a really high-pitched voice. It's just sort of like, I'm Wimplow. Yeah. That's kind of, like, how he sounds. Yeah. Um, He's the character with the Milk Duds line. So. Uh, yeah, right? Even, yeah, during the intermission. Because there's a, at one point they do, like, an intermission in yeah. this movie. Which is a gag in itself because it's, like, an 80-minute movie. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just, like, the characters talking about their favorite movie snacks. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And then he just says, my nipples look like milk duds. Yeah. Is, is the line. <laughs> Which was a line I remember thinking was really funny in 2002. Yeah, I did, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that if there's one thing this podcast is doing is making me realize, like, 
how bad my taste was <laughs> in 2002. Or just how much we've grown. Well, yeah, of course. And of also course. that we had terrible taste, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the, the stuff I, I think we're going to like from 2002, because we haven't really gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's the downside of starting with January. Um, I'll still probably like it's mm-hmm. the same stuff I liked then, but... Uh, I think a lot of the stuff I liked in 2002, I realize is actually shit now. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's any way that you could make this movie better. What do you think? Like maybe if it were literally a 10 minute movie, like if it were a short film, this is a short film that was stretched. Yeah, yeah. for sure. He, he had, he had an idea and maybe like two, Two or three jokes. Yeah. And then they had to figure out a way to make it a, a feature. Yeah. Um, it yeah. wears out its welcome real fast. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember, like, I mean, even though the, the, like, baby attacking stuff is not funny. It's not mm-hmm. funny. Especially when he pees on Betty, mm-hmm. Master Pain. Yeah. Um, and he just pisses out this long, like, stream. Mm-hmm. Um, that, none of that stuff's funny, but then, then the, like, rolling down the hill gag is funny, and, Mm -hmm. and I remember thinking, like, is this gonna be, like, okay? (laughs) Like, what, (laughs) what am I gonna think here? And then, like, the, the good jokes are so few and far between, because there's exactly three, and one of them it's not even really a joke. It's the, that's a lot of nuts. <laughs> it's a funny line delivery. It's just a funny line delivery. It's it's not, yeah. That's a lot of nuts. <laughs> it's so loud. And it <laughs> caught me off guard. But it also re-engaged me in the movie because the movie had really lost me. There wasn't, any, I didn't yeah. think there was anything funny for like the yeah. last like 40 minutes before that. <laughs> We should maybe say that we watched it. I have never watched a movie in such a strange uh, way before, uh, which is, it was you, me, and Travis, but Travis uh, couldn't make it. Travis was on a, we, had, we were watching with Travis through Zoom. That's we were, right. We were holding Travis up on a phone uh, to watch it with us. Yeah, Travis was there uh, in spirit and on FaceTime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, Travis still wanted to partake. He didn't know yeah. we were going to be watching Kung Pao. It was my choice, and I wanted to uh, yeah. kill two birds with one stone that night. Uh, pick pick a movie selection, and then also get watching this out of the way. Mm-hmm. So we watched Kung Pao. Yeah. And there were there were a lot of times where it looked like Travis was, like, about to fall asleep <laughs> on the other end. Yeah, sometimes I was, like, holding the phone and I forgot that I was holding Travis. There was one thing that he laughed at. Do you remember what it uh, was? I think it was the scene where Master Tang is uh, dying. Okay. And... Uh, his last words, he wanted to say, he was like, I actually really like the band Sync." Oh, that's right. And that's he right. went, he like said a few lines of dialogue about Sync, And then, yeah, that's right. We looked at Travis on the phone and Travis was laughing. It was the first time we'd seen him laugh the whole time. Because <laughs> I'd look at the phone like throughout the movie to see what Travis' reaction was. And he was just like shaking his head like... Very upset that this is what he had to watch. Right. Uh, I mean, he didn't have to. He could have Yeah, he could have failed. Him. But that was a strange way to watch a movie. Like, that was. With Travis on a phone. For sure. Yeah, that, that was, uh, was weird. I mean, it was less weird when we were all on 
phones yeah watching in our separate locations just one of us but yeah just having just one was was a weird thing yeah um yeah well we got it out of the way yeah it's funny uh when we started talking about like some of the first round of movies that we were going to be watching and we saw that kung pao was one of them i was kind of excited i was kind of looking forward to it i was like wow i haven't thought about kung pao in so long and then we watched the trailer, and, then we, and I was like, "Oh my god, this looks this looks bad." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we watched it, and I was like, "Man, how are we going to like have a discussion about this? I want to not talk about this movie." <laughs> right. Uh, it's a hard movie to describe in a way that makes it even sound like a real movie. Yeah, I think if someone listened to this had never seen a trailer, had no knowledge of it, mm-hmm. they would think we're just making all of this up. Because Maybe, it yeah. sounds so stupid and far-fetched that this ever would have been released, like, in theaters and mm-hmm. made real money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, this would make more sense as, like, a like a ten-minute bonus feature on a DVD. Yeah. yeah. This is a fraction of a good idea. Yeah. And should not have been 80, even 80 minutes long, which is... An extremely short movie. F for me. Uh, I feel like I have to go D minus only because of the few jokes that that worked. Uh, for me, the lows are so low <laughs> that they don't make up for the three highs. So I have to go F. They, it just overwhelms it completely. Uh. Yeah, I'll, I'm teetering between D minus and F, but I'm going to officially say D minus, just because. Okay. Uh, you know, I there was a time where I thought this was funny. <laughs> Since we didn't talk that much about it, do you want to rank the movies we've watched so far uh, this year? We could do that. Yeah. We could uh, uh, kind of give an update on kind of where we think. Yeah, so we're five movies in, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to say. Uh, Start right now. I'll say number five, starting from the bottom, is Snow Dogs. Four is Kung Pao. Three is Imposter. Two is Orange County, and one is The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, same order. Same order for me. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a pretty obvious order. Uh, Orange County has has some charm, I guess, to uh-huh. it. Com- Especially compared to the the bottom three on that list, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's uh, let's talk about the box office a little bit. Yeah. Uh, how did this movie do at the box office? Um, well, I believe it came. Well, let's see. Well, we talked about this on our Count of Monte Cristo episode uh, with the box office that came in at number five. Um, Walk to Remember was number three that weekend. This was all the way down at number nine mm. that opening weekend. Um, it made its opening weekend $7 million. Wow. Not bad for number nine, really. Yeah, that's not terrible. Um, it's a weird, it's a weird weekend because nothing really made like a ton Mm-hmm. Obviously, Black Hawk Down is still number one from 2001. Right. Um, this movie would go on to make $16 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. With a budget of 
10 million. So okay. obviously you watch this, it's very low budget. Uh-huh. Steve Odekirk did almost everything by himself in yeah. terms of acting and performing. So, um, didn't cost a lot. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing I thought was funny when I was looking at the box office, like sort of statistics for this movie, uh, this movie made $956,000 internationally. <laughs> <laughs> it okay. didn't even make a million dollars. Uh, I'm sure it didn't get like a huge release anywhere. Right. Um, I mean, it, I, I wonder what this movie's like release in China was like. Yeah, I wonder. Because it's kind of, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it made sixteen point nine million worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so made its budget back, um, and then DVD sales and stuff. On top of that, uh, one thing I did while I have it pulled up here on IMDb, I wanted to talk about because we we talked about some people that are in this movie. Um, it's really just like one guy, which I think is interesting. He was a stuntman mm-hmm. turned uh, movie director. To Chad Stahelski. Oh, that's is right. in this movie as like mm-hmm. a masked guy. Yeah, and Chad Stahelski is the director of the John Wick movies. Yeah, so I just thought that was funny. Um, also, uh, another stuntman that's also sometimes an actor uh, is Philip Tan. Is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which you may remember as, let me find it here. Yeah. The waiter in lethal weapon four. Oh yeah. The chase scene. In yeah. That. We okay. see, we see that guy kind we, of often. Yeah. We see him show up and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's in a couple of, uh, quarantine, uh, stuff. Anyway, just a couple of notable stuntmen, I guess that are in this movie. Yeah. Uh, well, Philip Tan's not really that notable, except to us, but, uh, director of John Wick is in this movie, John Wick 1, 2, and 3. Wow. Kind of interesting. All right. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, how do you think it did? Uh, pretty poorly, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say, uh, maybe there were some critics that enjoyed it, but I'll say pretty low. I'll say 11%. 13. Pretty 13. good guess. Good guess. Okay. Um, 13%. Uh, yeah, it was not well-reviewed. Did Ebert like this movie? I don't think so. I don't even know if he reviewed it, actually. <laughs> I want to I wanna check real quick. I, yeah, I think, if I remember right, this is a movie that was not screened for critics. That uh, makes sense. Uh, yeah, at this time, when... You know, when this came out, you and I were big at the movies with, uh... Roger Was this Ebert and Roper? Uh, I think this would have been Ebert and Roper. Yeah. 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 So we're we're big fans of that show. Um, you can watch all those reviews online. That's a fun... That's a fun, uh... Fun rabbit hole. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's see. Oh. Oh, did he review it? Oh, no, never mind. I got faked out. That's a, that's a three-star review for Kung Fu Hustle. Ah. I searched Kung Pao Enter the Fist, and it just gave me the Kung Fu Hustle review. 
No, he didn't review it. He yeah. liked. He gave three stars to Kung Fu Hustle, but okay. I got excited for a second thinking that, <laughs> that Roger Ebert gave this movie three stars. Yeah. Uh, no, he didn't review it. Bummer. I yeah. will never know what he thought. Um, Metacritic. Got a guess? Oh. 40. 14. Oh, wow. That is... So, that means... That means that everyone that disliked this movie fucking hated it. Wow. <laughs> so, is that, that's... Is that lower than uh, 88 minutes? That's lower than 88 wow. minutes. I checked that. That was 17 last week. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, I would like to hear from anyone who might listen to this that likes it. Yeah. And, and I have no judgment. I mean, I have plenty of, like... Uh, yeah. Sort of like guilty pleasure and uh, nostalgic uh, movies from yesteryear that I like. So if you like it, send us a send us a note, send us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or whatever, and uh, tell us what you think. Yeah, or if you disagreed with any of the movies we talked about on this episode, that's true too. If you're a big fucking imposter head. Yeah. <laughs> let us know. Please, let us know so yeah, we can put we... you on a watch list. <laughs> uh, yeah, so next episode we got... Uh, that's our big split episode where we're doing uh, the Mothman prophecies and uh, storytelling. You think Todd Solondz ever thought his movie would be, like, screened? I mean, I know it really isn't literally being screened, but, mm-hmm. like... You think he ever thought that his film storytelling would be like shown with the Mothman prophecies? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> you think Todd Solondz has seen the Mothman? I'm going to say no. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I don't. Think uh, so. He, he kind of strikes me as one of those guys who could be like weird and really into like trash cinema or whatever. Like I thought it was funny. There was a. I was reading a. I think was it. L.A. Times maybe did an interview with. Paul Thomas Anderson this week, mm-hmm. just about like shooting in the valley and stuff uh-huh. because that's where he's from for Licorice Pizza. And uh, <laughs> one of the quotes that got kind of like uh, separated and like quoted was that he kind of liked Venom too. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is weird because I thought Venom two was terrible, but. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, kind of like Venom, too. Yeah. I know he's also a fan of Big Daddy. <laughs> which just I, I approve of. Uh, yeah, yeah. Big Daddy's fun, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks for Mothman Prophecies and Storytelling. That's right. Um, are we allowed to say who the guest is going to be? Oh, yeah, we got a guest, a returning guest. Uh, uh, it's our second guest and also first returning <laughs> guest. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dennis Hunter will be back because uh, he he really wanted to talk about the Mothman prophecies. Couldn't get enough 2002 of Home Odyssey. Yeah, and I know for a fact that he has recently rewatched the Mothman prophecies, so he's uh-huh. ready to go. Think I think getting ready to do that ourselves this weekend or something here pretty soon. Yeah. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you could, that helps us in the search algorithm. I don't know if like Spotify, Pocket Casts have any kind of like rating system. 
Uh, Google does, so I guess if you use Google to listen to us, do that too there, please. Uh, apart from that, just follow us on the usual channels, 2002 Podcast, Instagram, Twitter. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's it. All right, so see you next time. Adios. That's my new goodbye. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm gonna say adios. I think you should. <laughs> you should. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it sticks. Or you could always say, uh, "That's a lot of nuts." <laughs> I could say that. Yeah. At the end of every episode. <laughs> All, right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Bye.